I want to talk to you about the, the topic that we run into in 1 Thessalonians is the topic of purity. The Apostle Paul has started a church in Thessalonica. He only had three weeks there to establish a church. He preached, downloaded everything that he felt they knew, needed to know, and then he was run out of town. How many of you know sometimes if you preach the word, not everybody's going to like you all the time if you stand up for the things that count for God? Sometimes you're going to be run out of town. Paul was run out of town because he was preaching the word. And some people didn't like what he was preaching, so he only had three weeks to establish a church. Think about it. There were no Bibles because the New Testament had not been written. They had an Old Testament. Most people didn't have the scrolls. Think about it. They heard about Jesus in three weeks. He can't email them to see how they're doing. Can't give them a cell phone call. Hey, how you doing? Keeping in the Word? He can't Facebook them a passage of Scripture in his favorite topic. No, 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 no. He, there's no way of connecting with them. He preaches the Word to them, and then he has to leave. And so he's worried about them. He's wondering how they're doing. He's talked to them about a lot of topics. One of the topics he talked to them about was the second coming of Christ. Do you realize that the Bible says that Jesus Christ is coming again? He's coming again? Some of you, it scares. Others of you, like, yeah, come Lord Jesus, I'm ready. Well, he had talked to them about the second coming of Christ, that Jesus Christ will come again. And some of them had taken it so literally, they thought Jesus was coming like next week. So some of them had quit their jobs. They said, why am I going to farm? Why am I going to plant? I'm just going to quit my job, preach the gospel, and get ready for the coming of Jesus. And Paul was saying, hold on, slow down a bit. We can't have the whole church unemployed waiting around for the coming of Jesus. Because people are going to come in from the outside and think you're loony. And plus, you're going to have to live off of Aunt Matilda's retirement fund, and that's not good. And, and, and people are going to come in and say, hey, are, why aren't these people working? And so you'll find in this past, you'll find in 1 Thessalonians that Paul says, hey, get a job, work hard, throw yourself into it so you can be a, a good testimony to the outsiders. But one of the topics he had to deal with as well was the topic of sexual purity. Because like in the days of Paul, similar to our days, the standard of purity was all over the place. In fact, the Apostle Paul was writing from the city of Corinth. He was writing this letter from a city that was a little bit further away from Thessalonica called Corinth. As he wrote this letter, he could look out the window of his house and see on the, I've been to Corinth, it's in, it's in Greece, there's the ruins of the old city of Corinth, and up upon the hill, Paul could look out his window and see up on the hill there was the temple of Diana the goddess of fertility. The sailors would come into Corinth, and the first place they would want to go is to the temple. You know why? There were 1,000 temple prostitutes. And part of going to church for them was they would go visit a temple prostitute, and part of their, all their religious services were having sex in the temple with the temple prostitutes. So this was a crazy, out-of-control city where all kinds of things were going on, 
And the Apostle Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and he's saying, hey, if you're going to live for Jesus, one of the areas that your defiant living is going to show up more than anywhere else is in the way you manage your sexuality. Now, some people don't think we should be talking about sex in church. They say, are you going to talk about the three-letter S-E-X word in church? I mean, pastor, is that appropriate? Hold on a second. If we don't talk about it in the house of God, if we don't talk about the principles, the values, how God wants us to manage this area, then when we're going to learn, out, learn about it from MTV? Is that, is that who's going to teach us? Hey, the Bible has a lot to say about sex. Did you know that? And by the way, sex is not a dirty word. It's not a bad word if you understand it. Let me just put this in parenthesis and tell you that God is the designer of sex. He invented it. He engineered it. It's a good God-given gift. Sometimes you hear, no, 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 don't, 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 bad, bad, bad. But really, it's God that engineered it, created it. It's good. It's a gift. It's great. And it's a gift that God has given to every individual to be fully enjoyed in the context of a committed relationship called marriage. So, Paul's talking to them. I want to read to you. What it tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, finally then. Now, he's only halfway through the letter, and he says, finally. It's kind of like me when I'm preaching. For my final point, and then I go on for 20 minutes. See, Paul had the same problem. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you are to walk and please God, just as you actually do, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So if you're taking notes today, I want you to jot this down. I want to talk to you about the will of God concerning managing your body and your sexuality. By the way, the Romans had some of the same value systems that we have today. One of the writers of the ancient world during that time, his name was Demothenus. He talked about the view of men towards sex in the, air, the day that they were uh, that, that this letter was written, and, and the Roman Empire view of sexuality, he says, we keep prostitutes for pleasure, we keep mistresses for the day-to-day -day needs of the body, and we keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. Voila. That was a little bit of the culture that existed in that day, and a little bit of the sort of mentality that people had, even in the days as Paul was writing. So as Paul addresses these believers, he's saying, if you're going to live all the way for Jesus, one of the places that you're going to be tested big time is in the area of managing your body and your sexuality. You're going to flow counter to the values of this world in this area. Notice what he says. I exhort you, brethren, we request and exhort you. That means I beg you. It's a strong emotion. We beg you. We admonish you. It's an exclamation point. Paul's saying, I feel really strongly about this. 
In the Lord Jesus, he's saying, this is not my opinion. This is God's word, Jesus Christ, that as you receive this instruction about how you ought to, ought to walk and please God, that you excel still more. He was telling him, hey, you're doing pretty good right now, but how many of you know the Christian walk is never, I've arrived and I'm there? Let me kick back, fold my arms behind my head, kick my feet on the couch and say, I've arrived. If that's your mentality, it's because you're comparing yourself to your neighbors, but not comparing yourself to Jesus Christ. Because if you're comparing yourself to Jesus Christ, you know that it's from glory to glory to glory, that you and I have a long way to go, that we have not arrived. If Jesus is our standard, then we have a long way to go. How about it? Yeah, a long way to go. So if you think you've made it, then I'm going to ask you, so, so are you like Jesus? Just because you're not cussing, drinking, and sleeping on the weekends. Listen, you sleeping around on the weekends, you, I, I'm not sure you've arrived yet. We, we got a ways to go. So he goes on to say, for you know that what commandments we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God is full of the authority of the word. This is not Paul's opinions or suggestions. This is the word. By the way, that's why when you come here on Sunday, you won't hear me preach out of suggestions from Pastor Mark book. No, no, no. That's not the book I preach out of. I preach out of the Bible because it's not suggestions for good living or opinions about how to make your life better. This is the inspired, infallible Word of God, breathed by the Holy Spirit. So what you hear me preach are not suggestions. They are commands they are given by God Most High via the Holy Spirit so that when we live Him, we are living them in line with God. Amen? Amen. So you know the, we, the commands by the authority of Jesus Christ. And then he gets into the meat of this. He says, verse 3, for this is the will of God. Have you ever asked, what's God's will? How many of you have ever asked that? I wonder what God's will is. What is God's will? God's will is His plan. His purposes. So he says, this is God's will. You want to know what God's will is? Look it. It's right there. For this is God's will. This is God's plan and purpose for your life. He says, your sanctification. Some of you are looking at me like, what? Sanctification. How many of you have heard that word before? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have no clue what it means? Don't raise your hand. All right, all right. <laughs> sanctification, it's a word that we hear, but we're not always sure exactly what it means. The word sanctification is where we get the word saint from. It's, all, it's also where we get the word holy from. The same root word for holy and sanctify simply mean this, to be set apart unto God. Set apart unto the purposes of God. By the way, if you read the New Testament, the Apostle Paul oftentimes when he's speaking to the believers, he calls them saints. He says, I write this to the saints in Ephesus or the saints in Thessalonica. And you may wonder, what saints live there? I'm not sure. Were there special saints that lived there? No, 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 no. Saint means to be set apart. We, according to Scripture, you and I are saints. Because we are set apart unto God to live for him. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a saint. 
Now, some of you don't see yourselves that way. Say saint and now use your name. Go ahead. How's it feel? Kind of weird. Some of you say, I like the sound of it. That doesn't mean that you've reached a level of spirituality that there's some sort of little halo that's going to start to appear over your head and like a little rainbow and you polish it once in a while. No, no, no. That's not the idea. The idea is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are set aside unto God. You've been set aside for the purposes of God. You've been sanctified unto God. So he says, listen, this is God's will, your sanctification. That means that you would begin to live as a person that's set apart for the purposes of God. That's God's will for your life, that you not be like everybody else, but that you realize my life, my body, my mind, my destiny belong to God. I am a child of God, called for the purposes of God, by the standards of God, I've been set aside for God's purposes. Your sanctification. Now let me say this, we are all sanctified, but we have to let our lifestyle catch up with who we are. It is you are holy already, but we don't all live and act like we're holy. That's the process of sanctification in our life so that we, from day to day, glory to glory, we are transformed, we're maturing, we're becoming more like Jesus, more destined to the purposes that he's called us to live in. So he says, for this is God's will, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now the word there for sexual immorality is the word in the Greek pornea. That's where we get our English word pornography from. Pornea means it's a broad word referring to any sexual relationships outside of the marriage covenant. So God has given you the energy, the, the energy, the gift of sexual energy. It's a good thing. God created you with it. From the moment that you were born, you were created as male or female, and when you reach the years of puberty, there's a change that happens. Suddenly, there's an attraction towards the opposite sex that begins to kick in. How about it? I've had three children. I have a 12-year-old son right now, and I know, I know the drill. I know that when they're you know, nine and the, you know, the girls have cooties and you know, let's stay away from them, they're the bad ones, and yuck, you hang around with her. I know that's the whole thing. Then suddenly the, t the tween years kick in, puberty kicks in, and suddenly they're in the mirror trying to fix their hair for a half hour, watching what they're going to dress. Now it's kind of when a girl walks in the room, they kind of strut different, try to act a little cool. Why? There's an awareness there. Suddenly those... Hormones have kicked in, and there's an attraction that begins to kick in, and they start flirting around with boyfriend, girlfriend. She likes him. He likes her. Why? Because there's, there's that God-given attraction built in by God to begin to be attracted to the person of the opposite sex. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, as long as it's managed. You see, every single... Uh, Every single drive that God has given us is good, but when it's mismanaged, it can actually hurt us. God has given you the appetite for food, right? So when you sanctify the appetite for food, set it apart unto God and manage it well, then it nourishes and strengthens your body. If you let it go out of control, 
then it can turn into overeating, gluttony, or, or some sort of eating disorder, bulimia, anorexia. And, and when you let the appetite for food get out of control, it can dominate your life. Is it a bad appetite? No, it's a good appetite. It just can't get out of control. God has given you the, the appetite or desire for sleep. Sleeping regenerates your body. It causes your muscles to grow when they're tired. And, and if you go too long without it, your body craves it. That ever happened to you? You're driving, and man, you're just like trying to, like your body's saying, the hum of the road, the darkness, there, just nice. And your body says, you know, this would be a good time for a nap. You got to roll down your window, slap yourself in the face, crank the um, hard rock music just to keep you awake. Ever happened to you in church? Come on, Pastor, now you're picking on us a little bit, you know. It's nice and warm, the soothing voice of the pastor. I've had people come and tell me, Pastor, you know, I just want to tell you, I've, I've had a hard time sleeping and it's really hard to go to sleep and so you know I put in your CDs and I just listen to your teaching just to help it helps me go to sleep I'm, well I'm, I'm happy I'm happy I'm helping you with your insomnia just don't get used to it though you come to church and then you fall asleep okay so sleeping is a good thing but if we oversleep it turns into laziness it turns into, the Proverbs talks about the lazy person that doesn't want to get out of bed. And so it's a good thing, but if we, if we allow it to manage us and don't bridle it and don't channel it, then it can become destructive in our life. And so it is with sexuality. It's an energy that God has given to both men and women to attract them to one another, and it serves wonderfully in the, con- the context of marriage to draw couples to each other over and over to enhance intimacy and to bring about babies. It's a great tool that God has given us. However, it has to be managed in a way or it can turn into a huge destructive force in our life. And so the Apostle Paul is telling them about this, and he, says, and he says, I want you to know that it's God's will, your sanctification, and you abstain from immorality. Now, here's what I've learned about abstaining from immorality. Listen to me well. Chicago, for example, is infamous for its potholes after the wintertime, right? I mean, it's like driving through Mine City. There's all these big holes. Some of them will swallow up your car if you're not careful. And so after the wintertime, all of us who drive around Chicago, we know we're swerving and looking out because there's a pothole coming up. None of us shoot for the potholes. At least none of us in our right mind shoot for the potholes. We try to avoid them, right? And, and when we hit them last winter, I, was, I wasn't paying attention. I hit a pothole, and it gave me a flat tire. Like, wow, how could, I, how could I have done that? Before I knew it, I hit it. When, once I hit it, I, it was too late. I didn't want to swerve, and I hit it. I wasn't intentionally going for the pothole, but I wasn't being careful. I wasn't looking. I wasn't attentive. And here's the thing. Immorality is that way. If you don't determine in advance 
that you are going to guard your life and guard your uh, sexuality and make a determination in advance that you're going to sanctify your sexuality to God, then you're not shooting for those potholes, but I can guarantee you will hit one of those potholes because unless you determine in advance that you're going to watch out, drive careful, make it your intention not to fall, then you're setting yourself up for a fall. Number two, that you learn how to manage your body, set apart, and with high value. So remember, whatever you feed your mind, garbage in, garbage out. Verse four, it says, that each of, each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification. That each of you, talking to Christians, know how to that word possess is manage, that each of you know how to manage or steward his own vessel. What's our vessel? Our body. So that each of us knows how to manage our body in what? In sanctification. Manage our body in a way that we set our body and our sexual energy aside to God. We, we, we set it apart into God. We say, I'm going to manage it the way you want me to manage it, God. And in honor. That word honor means high value. If you've ever gone before a judge, you say, your honor. Why? Because you're saying you're a person of high value, high esteem, that's going to make judgments about my life, and so I'm going to really treat you nice. When, when the word honor means something that's of high value. And what, what Paul is telling us as believers, we need to understand that our body belongs to God. And that our body needs to be set apart to the purposes of God. And our body and our sexuality needs to be set apart to be managed God's way. And that we need to look at it as something that's of high value. And when something's of high value, you don't give it away cheaply. When something's of high value, you take care of it. When I got married, I was 21 years old and I was really poor. And I saved up and I got my, ring, my wife a ring. I didn't get her an engagement ring because I didn't have money for that, but I got her a wedding ring. And in my mind, hey, hey, man, in my mind, I splurged. You know, but when you're poor, splurging, it's not a lot. So basically, I got her a cheap little ring. She cherished it. She never complained. She never said, why'd you give me the cheap little thing? You know, she, hey, it was what it was, and it had sentimental value, Right? So I got it, she cherished it. But you know, when we were hitting our 25th year anniversary, she started dropping hints like a wife does. Subtle hints. Subtle hints like, how about buying me a ring? <laughs> so I'm smart enough to take a hint when I hear it. So I said, all right, honey, I'm, I'm gonna buy you a ring this time. I'm gonna buy you a better ring than you had. So. She went out and started looking for rings, and I learned more about rings than I want to know. More about little diamonds. I didn't know there's yellow diamonds and clear diamonds and specks and how it's cut and this and that, all that. I endured that for the sake of my beloved wife. And so, and when, she, one, when, when we bought that ring, when we bought that ring, she suddenly, I don't know, she hadn't taken care of her old ring very well, but once she got that ring, it was like, whoa, this is special, honey. We'd be in the elevator and she'd say, look at that. 
said, what? What? what, what am, no, look at the sparkle there. Look at that little shine. Said, okay. She got a little case to put it in. The lady told her, oh, no, you can't wash dishes, you know, because there's a little film. So she got a little place to put it beside the, the, the sink. So, you know, it, why? Because it's special. She got a little case to put it in beside the nightstand where she can put it in a special case. Set apart, set, you know, not with the rest of the jewelry because this was a nice ring. Set apart. High value. High value. She's worth it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, I, you know, she, she's not a materialistic, possessive person, but, you know, she hasn't, I, I haven't heard her, like, loan it out to anybody and say, oh, you're going to something here. You want to wear my ring? Here, here you go. No problem. Take it. No, she hasn't done that. Why? High value, taken care of, set apart. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about, our sexuality. He's saying, listen, your body and your sexuality have been set apart to God and they have high value. When you understand that it's high value, you don't give it away cheaply, give it away easy. You didn't, it's not just something casual. You guard it, you keep it, you protect it, you watch over it because it has high value in the eyes of God. Yeah. That you possess your vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentile who don't, do not know God. He says, you know what? Hey, you used to be, you used to live a certain way because you didn't know God. And so your sexuality, you had some passions, you had an urge, you went out there. Why? Because you didn't know any better. You didn't know God. But now you know God. That's the old you, not the new you. Listen, I, I'm going to tell you something. One of the tactics of the enemy has been to take our bodies and our sexuality and make it seem cheap and devalue it in, this, in the society in which we live in. We live in a society in which junior hires are in the back of the bus having oral sex. Why? Just not because they like each other or are dating, just to give each other favors. College kids, it's just standard to have uh, weekend hookups in which I'm not dating you, you're not dating me, there's not really nothing special. We get together to give each other fringe benefits. That means we give each other sexual favors. The next day, hi, great time, good. I'm not, there's no, nothing in our relationship. It makes me feel good. You, it makes you feel good. So it's just friends with benefits. We live in a day in which this thing that's sacred, this thing that God has given us and say, treasure it, honor it, it is given away on weekends as though it were some cheap thing that could be easily given away. It is devalued in it. It has the, the, the sense of that this is something important, something to keep has been lost. And what Paul is saying is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot take the value system of this world, your sexuality is something that needs to be sanctified, sanctified, set apart unto God, and viewed as something of high value. Now, I know that what I'm pre preaching right now, 
For some of you, if you're 21 years old here and you haven't fully given your life to Christ and you're saying, well, pastor, I'm not, I'm not getting married until I'm 28. Finish college, get my first job, get my apartment. So hold on, pastor. Hold on a second. Am I hearing you right? Are you telling me as a 21-year-old guy that I am to be celibate and abstain from all any and all sexual interaction until I'm 28 years old, put a ring on my wife's finger, and get married? Is that what you're telling me? Well, I'm telling you, I didn't write it, I just preach it. But that's exactly what I'm telling you. And if this seems crazy and ludicrous, and you say, Pastor, well, I don't, I'm not sure you live in the same world I live in. Believe me, I do. I'm not sure you understand our culture. Believe me, I understand our culture. Well, if you understood, you would think that this is crazy. You can't ask that of anybody. Listen, it's not me asking it of you. It's God asking it of you. And unless you've given your life to Christ and dealt with the whole ownership, lordship issue, this is going to seem crazy, but once Jesus is Lord of your life, and you say it's not my life, my body, my sexuality, but I belong to you, God, it'll only make sense when you understand that your body and your sexuality is under new management. It's under the management of the Holy Spirit. It won't make sense it's under your management. And that's what he says. He says, not in lustful passions. Lustful passions is I get, I get an urge, I get a desire. Hey, I'm going to satisfy my need. The first victim I run into that I can seduce, hey, it's a done deal for the weekend. If I get the victim a little intoxicated, it's an easier deal in the weekend. And he says, you know, that's the way you were. And listen, I know that's the way a lot of us were. And I know some of you, when you came to Christ, man, that was your lifestyle. That's what you lived. That's what you grew up doing. That's how you were. That's who you were. So when you come to Christ, it's a shock to your system to, to live a whole different way. But, but I want you to know that what the Apostle Paul is saying is that you're a new person in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. Your sexuality, your, your body is under a different kind of management and, and the man, new management requires it to be set apart and it to be uh, considers as something of high value that is not tampered with or given away easily. Number three, leads me to verse six. That you not cheat one another by crossing sexual lines, so treat your sisters as sisters and your brothers as brothers. Listen to what it says in verse 6. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in, the matter, in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. Listen, what he says is this. That no man transgress, that word transgress means to cross lines. That no man cross lines or defraud. The word defraud means to rob. That no one cross lines or rob who? His brother. He's talking about the church. He's not talking about outside the church. He's talking about dating and relationships inside of the church. And he says, hey, I don't want you to cross sexual lines 
And I don't want you to defraud. Hey, if I were to tell you, watch your purse, hang on to your wallets, don't leave the purses on the back of your chair because we've had a bunch of, we've had people's wallets being stolen. We put it up on the PowerPoint. You would, you would be careful. You'd say, I can't believe there's a thief loose in the church. Trying to pickpocket in the church. Trying to steal my money. I bought my wallet so I could give a tithe, and now someone's going to try to steal my wallet. I can't believe that. You're looking at people around, you're like, who is this person? <laughs> but yet the Apostle Paul says it happens all the time. How does it happen? There's robbery happening. It happens when people get sexually involved. When people get sexually involved outside of marriage, any kind of sexual focus and energy that you give outside of marriage, ultimately someone ends up being defrauded or robbed because of it. Let me tell you how it works. Well... It works like this. If it's adultery, if you're a married person and one of your spouses gives, your spouse gives attention to someone outside of your marriage and begins to focus their sexual energy, whether it's platonic or whether it's physical, then you are robbing your spouse of intimacy, energy, of covenant relationship. I mean, we all understand that, that it's just wrong. You're robbing something from your marriage. But you say, well, Pastor, what if it's just consensual? Two people dating, they like each other, they're serious about it, showing a little affection. What's wrong with that? Seriously, anybody hurt in it? They love each other. They're thinking about talking about one day, five years down the road, four years down the road, getting married. What's wrong with having a little sex when you're dating? I mean, seriously, Pastor, come on. It's not like I'm forcing her, she's forcing me. We feel good, we feel loved. We, you know, I, I don't understand who it's hurting. Well, let's put a pause button on that for a second. You're assuming, you're assuming that you know better than the designer knows. You, you, you're kind of assuming that I know the designer says don't use it this way because it can break it, mess it up. But I'm going to use it anyway that way. Hey, listen, if the instruction says, if the instruction says it's 120 voltage, not 220 voltage, I would listen to the instructions. Because you say, well, what's it going to hurt? I don't understand. I don't see anything wrong. Let me plug 220 in. I'm going to guarantee you, you plug 220 in, it's meant for 120. It's eventually going to spark. It may work for a little bit, but let me tell you, it's not going to work very long. There is damage that will be done, even though you don't understand that there's damage, because the designer of it, ultimately, that knows how it works best, that designed it from the beginning, says, here's the instructional manual. Do not use it this way or it'll have repercussions. And that's exactly what God says. In fact, you want to know how serious God is about it? Let me tell you how serious God is about it. He says this. He says, and that no one transgress or defraud his brother in this manner because the Lord, whoa, 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 he, hold on. Hey, young guy, you got your eye on a sister, a little sister? In the church, oh, she's cute. I know she's cute. You're trying to act all spiritual, bringing a big Bible. 
You make sure you're situated right in front of her. When the music's going on, you're raising your hands extra high. You think that if you move a little bit, she's going to be distracted a little bit. You're showing how spiritual you are, taking notes, you know, because you know she wants a godly man, a spiritual man. So you're playing the part a little bit. Uh, hold on a second. You, 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 you're, you're thinking that you can smooth talk that little sister. You're thinking that you can kind of lure her into wanting a spiritual man, a man of God, and then you'll go back to the ways of the world and taste some of the fruit of that little sister. Here's what God says. Listen. God says this, that you know that you not, that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as also you were told before and solemnly warned. Hold on, what are you saying? That God is an avenger. Well, that's strong words. Listen, you can have enemies, but one enemy that I do not want to have on my list, one guy that I don't want to be my avenger, and that's the Lord of hosts, God Almighty. I don't want him to put me on the avenger list. The Lord is the avenger. That means the one that says, hey, you thought that you're dealing with an angry father? Listen, you ain't dealt with anything until you've dealt with the avenger, the almighty avenger, who looks at you and says, do not touch my little girl, my sister. So he says, hey, brothers, you need to look at the women in the church as sisters, sisters in the Lord. And sisters, you need to look at brothers as brothers in the Lord. And let me tell you what happens. If, if you have trained yourself, listen, Let's, let's be real here. Let's talk about how this works. All you have to do is go downtown sometime and go by a construction site sometime and just have a girl that's walking out of the office walk by a, group, a, a, a crew of construction guys and you'll get a little idea of, of what happens. They're checking it out up and down, checking her while, hey, look at this, that. You know, if, if, if that's your mentality, if you're out there and you are falling into pornea by getting on internet pornography, if you're having a steady dosage of, of pumping up your mind with sexual images, then when you come to church or when you go to work or when you go to school, you can't look at any woman with purity in your mind because you have filled your mind with garbage and what you see is a body, not a person. You don't see an individual. You don't see a heart. You don't see a soul. You see a body. And, and when you see just a body, then you treat someone as a piece of meat and not as an individual. And what God is saying is, listen, guys, listen, guys, that may have been the way it was in the world. You, you may have checked them out in the world. Your game may have been, how do I seduce and get this person? But you are no longer in the world. You are a man of God. Now rise up and live and walk like a man of God. Begin to put on the eyes of a man of God. Begin to train yourself to, be, to, to look at the face of a woman and not scan her body. Begin to understand that she is a woman of dignity with a soul and with a life and with a spirit. And begin to understand that the more you expose yourself to the garbage that's in the world, the harder you have to work at saturating and cleansing your mind so that you can walk in purity. I know it's a battle. Listen, there are some of you young men that, that are here today that all your interaction with women has been so sexually charged 
that just to have a girl that you see as a sister in Christ is a huge challenge for you. Without your mind racing down the road of, it's a huge challenge. Because your mind has been so seeped in the world, so brainwashed by the world system, to, see, to, to, to have a woman that you see as a sister, you walk, you, you look at her pure as, as you would look at your own sister. It's just a huge challenge. And I'm going to tell you something. That's the culture of the kingdom of God. It's not the exception. It's what God is saying. I want that to be the norm in the body of Christ. Pastor, well, how do I get married if I look at everybody as sisters? I mean, I'm, no, don't worry about that. That's not going to be a problem. Believe me, that's the least of your problems. And God is the avenger of this. Number four and lastly, that you remember that sexual sin ultimately is against God, so pursue your higher calling. Verse seven, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity. But in sanctification, you have a call on your life, and your call is not to use your body and to mess your life up with sexual immorality. That's not God's purpose for you. Because every time you defy, every time you fall into pornea, every time you fall into sexual immorality, every time you sleep with your girlfriend, in essence, you are defying the living God. Listen to what it says. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Hold on. What Paul is saying is this isn't man-made rules. This isn't Pastor Mark's law. This is not because it's church. This is because it's God. And if you reject the standard of purity, you are rejecting God. Why? Because God has deposited in you his Holy Spirit, and your body now is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and what you do with your body, you are doing with the temple of God. So when you say, hey, I want to be a Christian, I want to follow God, but don't expect me to be celibate until marriage. That's crazy. Right there, right now, you are saying, God, I reject you. That's exactly what it's saying. You're not rejecting man, you're rejecting God. You cannot be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Listen to me well, look up at me. You cannot be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ and serious about your walk with God if you continue to have casual sex on the side with your girlfriend, boyfriend, mistress, whatever it may be. You are rejecting God every time you go out there and you play your sexual games or you, because this is not a small issue. Listen, this is a huge issue. So what's it mean? Listen, you, if you're going to make it, listen, if you're a couple here and you're dating, I can guarantee unless you have set a high standard, you have fallen or you will fall. Well, Pastor, I love Jesus. Yeah, I know a lot of people love Jesus and fall into sexual immorality all the time. If you're a dating couple here and you're sexually involved, no, let me even go further. Listen. Oh, I know we've had these conversations. How about it, people of God? 
I'm going to step on toes. You know I am. If you're here, you're coming here. We got a lot of couples that do this. For some reason, no one taught you you should have got married. So you, you, she has a baby. You're still not sure. You have three kids now. You've been living together for seven years. Three kids. You still haven't put a ring on her finger. When I say what's going on, well, we thought about it. Well, we talked about it. Well, we're thinking about it. Could I tell you something? Stop thinking about it. Do something about it. Seriously? Well, I'm not sure. Well, three kids into it, you better be sure. What are you waiting for, six kids? Come on. Well, I don't want to give her a ring. Get a cheap ring like I got. Start with a cheap ring. Rubber band if you have to. I don't care. But let's do this right. Let's, stop. let's have men step in. I want your kids to say, I'm, I'm her husband. She's my wife. I want your kids to know you're married. I want you to break that cycle. I want our singles to walk in purity. Why? Not because they can't have anyone in the neighborhood that they want. Not because, not because they're, they're introverted and not because they can't. I want our singles to walk in purity because they choose to walk in purity. Because they say, God is the owner of my sexuality. I am set apart unto God. I want couples that date here to determine in advance, hey, I know, hey, I've had couples, dating couples come to me and tell me, we've set a standard of purity, we're not having sex. Our friends say, is something wrong? They think it's weird. They wonder if, if, if there's a sexual problem. No, you choose to do things God's way. And I want to challenge you if you're dating, if you're single, if you're married. I challenge you if you're married, yeah, enjoy the sexuality in your marriage. Listen, if you're a married couple and you aren't having sex, then you need to get on your knees, repent, and say, God, forgive us because we should be having sex, and a lot of it. I just boosted the sale of the tapes for the men. They're, all the men are like, Pastor, I want that tape. I want that tape, Pastor. Seriously, it's a, it's a sin to deny your partner. And obviously, hey, some of you, you know, you're in the doghouse because you, 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 you put yourself in the doghouse. You, you act like a jerk and then you want some of the goodies that are there. And that's not the way it works. So learn to be a good husband. Bring it out in your wife so that she wants to love on you and bless you and give herself to you as well. All right. I just boosted the sale of tapes on the woman's side as well. Okay. You say, Pastor, should we be talking about this in church? Absolutely, we should be talking about this in church. Absolutely. Not only should we be talking about it in church, but we should be determining that we are going to live counterculture, revolutionary. And if we're going to do it, we need to be strong about it. 